Romans chapter 4 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans, Romans 4. Romans chapter 4, we're going to be reading a few sections or a few verses from uh, this particular chapter here in Romans. And then we'll look at the uh, Belgian Confession in just a moment. Let's read together from Romans chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaking of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And then jumping down in the same chapter to verse 24. Actually, let's start in verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. And here's our focus. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our focus there, the end of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. And then if you'd like to read along with me, we're going to be reading from uh, the Belgian Confession. The Belgian Confession is found in the back of our red uh, songbooks. By way of a reminder, the Belgian Confession is summarizing for us what the Scripture is teaching. The Belgian Confession focuses on different theological points. It's more of a systematized working through of the theological aspects of the Scriptures. So we're going to be looking at Belgian Confession, Article 23. Uh, that's found on page 863, 863 in the back of our red uh, songbooks. Article uh, 23 entitled The Justification of Sinners. Belgian Confession, Article 23. We believe that our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ and that in it our righteousness before God is contained. As David and Paul teach us when they declare that man's blessed, that man blessed to whom God grants righteousness apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely or by grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. And therefore we cling to this foundation which is firm forever, giving all glory to God, humbling ourselves and recognizing ourselves as we are not claiming a thing for ourselves or our merits or leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified, which is ours when we believe in him. That is enough to cover all our sins and to make us confident, freeing the conscience from the fear, dread, and terror of God's approach without doing what our first father Adam did, 
who trembled, who trembled as he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. In fact, if we had to appear before God relying, no matter how little, on ourselves or some other creature, then, alas, we would be swallowed up. Therefore, everyone must say with David, Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servants, for before you no living person shall be justified. And that's, as far as reading, you'll see underneath that article there, quotes from Psalm 32 and Romans 4, which we read just a few minutes ago. And that's as far as reading. In the Belgic, we pray for the blessing of our God on the preaching of his word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how are you made right with God? How can we as sinners stand in the presence of a holy God? The pointed question from Lord's Day 23, which some of our students might have memorized, brings this before us. How can we be made right with God? How are we righteous? How can sinners be made righteous in the presence of a God who is holy and just? So both Lord's Day 23 and Belgic Confession Article 23 share this focus. How can sinners become righteous before a holy God? We're going to be looking at justification. And perhaps some of you have memorized this, this definition of justification when you were younger. A justification is just as if I had never sinned. Now, that definition is true, is good insofar as it goes. Justification is just as if I had never sinned, but it misses a very significant aspect. There is a second part to that definition that must also be remembered. Not only is it true that in justification it is just as if I had never sinned, it is also true that it is just as if I had lived a perfectly righteous life. This is what we call double imputation, the two parts of our justification. Double imputation means that my sins are taken from my account and imputed or credited, transferred to Jesus Christ's account. And his righteousness, his perfect life is credited to me. And the reason this is so important, children, is because when we are justified, it's not only that our sins, our, our filth is washed and cleansed. We're not like a, a, a sheet of paper that has the bad answers erased. It is also true that the correct answers are imputed and placed on our account. So today we are going to be looking at both aspects of our justification. The forgiveness of our sins, yes and amen, but also the reception of Christ's righteousness, his good works credited to my account. Last week we looked at Melchizedek, that priest king, and Melchizedek illustrated for us a priest king who secures perfect atonement. This week, we are going to be looking at Joshua, the high priest. Joshua, the high priest from Zechariah chapter 3. Just a little bit of history on, Zechariah, on, on the high priest Joshua, who we read about here in, in Zechariah. The high priest Joshua was one of the leaders that had been sent back from captivity to Jerusalem with the blessing of King Cyrus. We have Joshua along with Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor who, who led back a group of exiles 
from Babylon. And one of the key things that Joshua would be responsible for and participate in was the rebuilding of the temple. You can uh, read about this in uh, Haggai if we would like to read about it later. Uh, but the, the point here is that Joshua the high priest being brought back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple, the question that we have to ask is how can Joshua function as a high priest? If the temple is built, who is going to serve as priest here in the temple? So we're gonna be looking at this theme this morning. Jesus Christ purifies his priest to serve in his presence unashamed. Jesus Christ purifies his priest to serve in his temple in his presence unashamed. And our first point then, we're going to consider how Jesus Christ was delivered up for our trespasses. Uh, that's directly from Romans uh, chapter four. The first side of what we call double imputation is that our sins are taken from our shoulders and placed on Jesus Christ. Now, uh, not to be confused, imp imputation simply means credited or, or reckoned, transferred. Uh, a legal declaration is being made here. Stated another way, our sins are put on Jesus Christ and he pays for them. And that is why Jesus Christ had to suffer all the way to the cross, laying down his life. Jesus Christ, in becoming a curse, becoming sin for us, what was laid upon him was our transgression, our sin, our guilt. So why did Jesus Christ need to, to suffer? His life was not just a Greek a tragedy. He had to suffer for a very specific reason. is that he was satisfying the justice of God. And in God's justice, our sins must be paid for. So with justification, what is taking place is, is what you and I cannot pay, the debt for our sins, is given to Jesus Christ and he pays that debt, paying what we owed to God's justice and wrath. The end result of this transaction is this. When sins are taken from you, your guilt taken from your account and placed on Jesus and he pays for them, that means that they are no longer on your account. They're no longer on your books. The end result is that your sins are not counted against you because the debt has been satisfied. David says this in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man who does not have their sins counted against them, whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Now, to illustrate this process of the removal of guilt, we're going to be looking at our passage from Zechariah 3 with Joshua the high priest. Now remember here in Zechariah 3, we have the high priest Joshua standing in the presence of the angel of the Lord and Satan is standing right beside the high priest. And Satan is there standing behind the, beside the high priest ready to accuse him, ready to disqualify him, ready to bring up all of the misdeeds of the Israelites, all of the sins of the high priest and to prove that Joshua could not function as the high priest, we are given a picture of how he looked. Joshua is standing there in the presence of the Lord and his robes are covered in filth. 
We can imagine that serving as a high priest meant that you were firsthand up close with the whole process of sacrifice. So his vestments, the, uh, the vestments is another word for, for robes the, that the priest would wear. His, his robes, his clothes would be covered with blood. Old blood, dried blood. But also the entrails, the guts of the angels that have been sacrificed. And not only that, the excrement of the animals that have been sacrificed would be covered, would be covering the robes of the high priest. The high priest who is supposed to represent the Israelites and stand in the presence of the Lord ministering as a priest is covered in blood and guts and filth. He is dirty. He is smelly. He would look like someone who just crawled out of the sewer or perhaps the end of a shift at a slaughterhouse. That's what he would look like. That's what he would smell like. He is not someone who you would want to stand next to. He is not someone you would want to represent you in the court of law. He is disqualified to serve as a priest. You wouldn't want him standing in the presence of people. And he cannot surely stand in the presence of a holy God. He could not do his work as a priest while he looked like this. But the angel, seeing this filth, deals with the filth and gives this commandment. Zechariah 3 verse 4. Remove those filthy garments. Remove those rags. Remove those polluted vestments. Get rid of that which is so disgusting. Take away this pollution. And just so that we don't miss the point, the angel then says, Zechariah 3 verse 4, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity. Joshua, what I'm doing for you is I'm not just cleaning your clothes, Joshua. What represents the taking away of this, this dirty rags that had, had covered the high priest, it was his sins that disqualified him. It was his, his pollution, his misdeeds when he broke God's commandments. And the angel says, I'm, I'm taking those away. I'm removing them from you. I'm, I'm cleansing you. I'm, I'm purifying you. You see, Joshua was not dirty with just the, the dirty things of this created world. He was dirty with his sins. His iniquity polluted him and made him unfit for office, unfit to stand in the presence of God. And even though our sins are like scarlet, He's washed, cleansed, made, made as white as snow. Now what should the response of Joshua and the response of all God's people be when we see this great exchange take place? The first response as we consider the doctrine of justification is this. 
We see ourselves in Joshua and we see our sins in the pollution that Joshua had on his clothes. And the first necessary response is humility. Right? That's what we read in Belgian Confession, Article 23. Those who come to know their sin and misery are called to humble themselves. Because like Joshua, we are unfit to serve as priests. We are unfit to serve in the house of God. We are unfit to stand in the presence of God because our best deeds, the best that you and I can do, are filthy rags to say nothing of the old nature that clings to us. We see our iniquity. We know that we are no better off than Joshua, that we too are clothed in the filth of our misdeeds. And even on the best of days, who here would say, I can trust in my own works? Because even now, we go to church, our minds are distracted. We pray because we feel compelled to pray, but our, our, our feelings don't comply with our call to holiness. Who here doesn't struggle with doubt or worry or fear? We read God's word with unholy eyes. We take communion with stained hands. The evil that we know we should be avoiding, we find ourselves doing and committing again and again. So we cry out with David, cleanse these guilty hands. Enter not into judgment with me. Take these dirty rags away and make me clean. So the first part of justification is the removing of the dirty rags. It's the taking, taking off my guilt and being washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. So Jesus died on a cross to secure our necessary cleansing. His blood is what makes you clean. But going back to Romans, not only, not only does his death secure the washing away of our iniquity and transgressions, more than that, he was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we might live. So now he lives and applies his righteousness to us. Going back to our illustration in Zechariah 3, we can praise God that the removal of the, the dirty rags is not the end of the story. In other words, children, Joshua is not left standing there naked, right? What's happened up to this point is his dirty rags have been taken away. He's been washed, but he doesn't have any clothes on. So there is a, a further benefit and blessing added as Zechariah 3 continues, not only remove his filthy garments, but I will clothe you with pure vestments. I will give you new royal robes to wear. And even as Zechariah says, put a clean turban on its head. Give him the robes of a king. Put a crown on his head. Cover his nakedness with clothes in keeping with his position. So Joshua is not only cleaned, but he's given new clothes in keeping with his granted purity. Here is where we find the second part of our justification. 
Because not only are our sins, are polluted, are our dirty misdeeds, transgressions taken from us, we have the returning of clothes, but not the returning of our clothes. It's the returning of someone else's clothes put on our shoulders. Someone else's robe placed upon us. Not only is our guilt and sin taken away, we are credited with Christ's righteousness. We can picture it this way. The holy life of Jesus Christ uh, forms a a, a beautiful tapestry uh, of righteousness that becomes a, a royal robe that covers our shoulders. And here we find the active and the passive obedience of Jesus Christ answers the question. The passive obedience of Jesus Christ refers to his suffering under the law. His passive obedience means that he endured the consequences of payment so that our sins would be paid for. That's, that's his passive obedience. His active obedience means that he perfectly secured righteousness. He obeyed all of the laws, all of the commandments, lived a perfect life so that in his passive and his active obedience, we have the removal of our sins, those being paid for, and the crediting of his righteousness granted to our account. Therefore, in justification, we have to know this second part of the equation. Justification, this is from Lord's Day 23, the Father grants and credits to me the perfect righteousness and holiness of Christ. So that when the Father looks at you, not only does he no longer see your sins, but now he sees the righteousness of Christ. So that back in our illustration, when the angel looks at Joshua the high priest, he sees royal robes, holy vestments. He sees the clothing of a priest. As we read in Romans 4, verse 24, the righteousness is counted to us who believe. Now, to add one more aspect to this justification, uh, children, who is the one that takes away Joshua's dirty rags, dirty robes? Who is the one that declares that Joshua should be reclothed? With whose clothes is Joshua Reclothed. This is not a work of Joshua, in other words. Joshua is not looking at himself saying, you know what, I'm pretty dirty, I better go wash. Joshua does not have the capacity, the ability to take off his own robes and put new robes on himself. This is a declaration of God. This is a work, a sovereign work of God. What is necessary is granted and gifted. It is the work of another. It is secured by Jesus Christ. So we can apply this not only to Joshua, but to us as well. You'll remember that as 1 Peter 2 says, we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, How can we stand in the presence of God unafraid and unashamed? I know we come to church here on Sunday and we're in our Sunday best. 
Right? We've all taken showers, put cologne or perfume on, have our nice uh, church clothes on, shiny shoes. We look pretty good when we show up to church on Sunday. But let me tell you this. You cannot stand here based on what you chose out of your closet this morning. Right? You cannot come into the presence of God trusting in your own works. You have no right, you have no basis, no standing in the presence of God. Because if you come into God's presence trusting in yourselves, and we'll see this in our last point as well, trusting in yourselves, you will be consumed. You cannot come here. You are disqualified as Joshua was disqualified as a priest. The only hope that you and I have is if someone else clothes us. Someone gives us what is necessary. We can stand in the temple of God unafraid. Satan has to keep his mouth shut because he has no grounds to accuse us. The grounds of accusation have been taken off and canceled. And what was necessary has been given. So we who would be justified must cry out to the Lord and depend on Jesus Christ and him alone. We find this in Belgian Confession 23. We rest only on Jesus Christ. We lean on his obedience. Not only are we unable to pay for our own sins, we are unable to secure the necessary righteousness. Unlike Adam and Eve, when they came to know their sins, ran away and tried to use fig leaves to cover their nakedness, Jesus Christ has supplied the necessary clothes. It is his righteousness credited to us. Well, now that we've looked at both aspects of justification, what remains then is the peace that has been secured. If you're following along in Romans 4, we move now into Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We stand in God's presence washed and clothed. We stand by grace. We have peace with God. Shalom, it is well with us. We are no longer naked and afraid. We can stand and serve as priests our blessedness having been secured so that what we could not do has been supplied and secured for us. So the primary application of this doctrine, justification, is not just so that we get our definitions correct. I hope you can define this. That's important. Right? Justification. What is justification? Just as if I had never sinned and just as if I had lived a perfectly righteous life. That's how the Father sees you, declares you. It's important to get our definitions right. But more than that, not just being able to define it, is it true? Is this true of you? Can you say this with a heart of faith, that your sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ, and his righteousness is now yours. Is this true of you? Psalm 130, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love and full redemption. Knowing that you are dirty and needing to be cleansed pushes you, moves you, motivates you to trust in Christ as the only one who can heal and save. 
as our Belgian Confession rightly warns us, if you were to appear before God relying on yourself or someone else, you would be swallowed up. If you, on the day of judgment or when the Lord calls you home, stand in God's presence and rely on yourself, be that even a small part, relying on yourself or relying on another, you will be swallowed up. There is only one recourse. There is only one source of hope. That is justification on the works and merit of Jesus Christ. So the first application is make sure this is true of you, that you are trusting in Christ for your forgiveness and for your righteousness. But the second application flows out of this truth as well. Our Belgian Confession puts it this way, having been justified by grace through faith, the response is, you must give all glory to God. If salvation is a work, a merit secured by someone else, you can't look to yourself, you can't praise yourself, you can't boast in yourself. You must give all glory to God because it is a work of God from beginning to end. That is why this doctrine is so important. It's called the foundation of the church, the hinge upon which the door of salvation swings. If you get this wrong, if you get this wrong, you will not be trusting in the only one who can save. As we close, our passage from Zechariah chapter 3 is a, a classic rags to riches exchange. He goes from filth to purity, from poverty to plenty, from guilt to glory, from being accused by Satan to being defended by God. As our theme states, Jesus Christ purifies his priest to serve in his presence unashamed. That's why you as priests can serve in the presence of God unashamed. In this is all our righteousness. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this reminder of the blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. May this truth be impressed upon us. May we trust in Christ and his works alone for our forgiveness and our righteousness. In his name we pray, amen.